Hi everyone and welcome to the Master Investors Podcast. Today's guest is none other than Evil Knievel. Evil is going to be giving his own perspective on the current downturn and he's also going to be revealing the biggest stock in his portfolio right now. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Here's the podcast. But before we get started, please take a few moments to listen to our disclaimer. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. The information in this podcast is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorised financial advisor. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future returns. Hi everybody and welcome to Lockdown Radio. My name is James Faulkner. I'm joined by none other than Evil Knievel, also known as Simon Corkwell. Hi Simon, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. And I'm delighted to be contributing to this first edition of Lockdown Radio. You're not going stir-crazy yet? No, on the contrary. I must say, a friend of mine said to me the other day, self-isolation won't be any difficulty for you. You've been doing it for years. (laughs) 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 And I should think that's broadly speaking true, yes. Right, so... We've had a pretty vicious sell-off in the markets. I mean, personally, I've never seen anything like it, especially nothing as as uh, sharp and as uh, severe as, as the, the most recent sell-off. A lot of people have made comparisons to the financial crisis. What, what are your thoughts on, um, on the current situation? Ah, well, if I may say so, I don't think 2008 was a proper sell-off. It was miraculously stopped I want to compare it with a real bear market. And as my good friend Jim Slater uh, often pointed out to me, there were only two bear markets in the entire 20th century. There's, those were 29.31 and 73.74. And I can see what he means in percentage terms. But it was more than that. It was a simply the loss of confidence that occurred the complete draining of all enthusiasm. And uh, I don't think we're necessarily at this point here. I'm not saying we'll necessarily get to it, but that's what I would call a bear market, a really sharp sell-off, i.e. when stocks go to less than a third of what they were at their high. And we haven't got that. That said, as you rightly remark, this has been a pretty severe sell-off, and uh, uh, it, it has shaken people really quite considerably. Surely, surely in the, the, the financial crisis, I mean, peak to trough, we saw you know fifty percent plus drawdowns in equity markets, didn't we? So, surely, I mean, that that was a pretty severe sell-off, wasn't it, at the time? I mean, a lot of people at the time thought that the financial system was uh, going to cease to exist. So. Uh, could, could that not be considered a, a proper bear market? <laughs> I suppose one can do it, but I, I don't think, I never thought of that as comparable to 73, 74. I don't wish to be thought an old bore dredging up matters <laughs> from the, my, my past, but it didn't strike me as particularly uh, severe at the time. I suppose the difference was the, the, the central bank stepping in to sort of backstop the system, which is what we're actually seeing now as well, isn't it? And 
wondered what, what your what your thoughts on that are in, in terms of the, the, the fiscal stimulus that we've seen and, and the monetary stimulus so far. I am astounded by the money chucked at economies by the central banks. It's amazing. I, I like Rishi Sunak. I think he's a, a clever and witty man, and I will always yield to a man who can tell a joke. But the fact of the matter remains that this vast expenditure program, which he has initiated, is not funded by taxation. And I'm not certain that it's been funded by government debt either. And so I suspect that it's just printing money. I suspect that. Or at least, if it's not all printing money, I suspect that a lot of it is. And this must be inflationary. And uh, as a result... I'm afraid there's going to be more troubles to come. I'd like to talk about the, the long-term implications of the latest round of QE and fiscal stimulus a bit later on in the conversation, but do you think what's been done so far, do you think we've seen enough in terms of intervention from from governments and central banks to kind of to, to backstop the, the system as it currently stands, do you think? Well, I wouldn't be a judge of that. I simply don't know. There are figures... And the capacity uh, to read these figures, which I simply don't have. So it would be unpardonable conceit on my part to claim to know that the end result of of this um, expenditure program will uh, immediately be seen for what it is, highly inflationary, for quite a while yet. Um, and you've seen a lot of bear markets and a lot of recoveries, Simon. What sense do you get in terms of the what the the, the recovery when it eventually arrives? What, what sort of recovery are we going to get? Is it going to be a V-shaped, a, a U-shaped, or some people even talking about an L, L-shaped recovery? <laughs> well, I, I've only seen one bear market, and that was 73, 74. <laughs> <laughs> but... I do remember on the 1st of January 1975, the Burma oil had gone, and uh, as a result, that really was, that marked the bottom. And then things started turning around. And by goodness me, it turned around quickly. Uh, Stocks which were in receipt of a cash bid, even though guaranteed by bankers, acting for the bidder, these stocks were still at a substantial discount to the cash offer, partly because people wondered whether these deals were complete, but partly, I think, because people wanted to get onto the next stock, which was going to go up. I mean, (laughs) stocks doubled from memory in about three months or something extraordinary. And it was... um, it was uh, it was a time when people who confi- had always confined themselves to solid balance sheets made an absolute fortune. And I'm sure the day will come when we will have exactly the same result in our present circumstances. And I know it's, it's a bit of a fool's errand to sort of predict the bottom of the market, but what, what sort of signs would you be looking for to, you know, in terms of gauging that, that moment, do you think? Slightly mischievously, when the London Stock Exchange stopped short-selling, which they did in a number of stocks, particularly continental banks, 
I thought uh, that would mark the bottom because the one thing is the authorities, whenever they take it upon themselves to interfere in markets, they get it amazingly wrong. So (laughs) I I thought banning short selling meant we'd hit the bottom. In fact, um, that was about 500, that was at about 500 points lower than we are now. So perhaps someone's got it right. But even so, I think there's a natural bottom when real despair has set in. And I don't think real despair has yet set in. So I'd be inclined not to buy in the expectation of a recovery, at least not to buy right now. Right. How these things actually will actually pan out, I simply don't know. And do you do you expect to see lots of bankruptcies or do you think that given that a lot of companies are now on life support from from the government do you think we're going to avoid you know wholesale bankruptcies what's what's your take no, on that no there are going, there are going to be a lot of insolvencies there's no question about it there are two sorts of bankruptcies or perhaps three I mean, the worst of it is uh, companies that should have gone bankrupt years ago, and then uh, companies which ought to go bust, ought to have gone bust years ago, but didn't because of they just kept going. I'm thinking particularly of Bright House, which has gone bust today. I always think that it's most improper for any society to tolerate an operation like Bright House it's no deal for poor people who are the only customers of Bright House. And uh, the fact is that uh, I don't regard their insolvency as any loss to the community whatsoever. Then, of course, there are companies which, although trading well, have simply had their livelihoods taken away from them. I'm, a very good example of that would be the aviation industry. And... Uh, that is on the cusp of happening, and I think uh, that is a, an unusual feature here. Yeah. Mind you, the aviation industry, I think, needs to be brought under control because um, uh, the cost of aviation fuel is far too low. It's not properly taxed. And uh, I'm here with my heroine, Greta Thunberg, <laughs> that we'll have to something something have to be done about aviation costs readily incurred by people because they're not the people are not being properly charged for this fuel and or anything like I suspect it should be three to four hundred percent dearer than it is now but more to the point I just think a, aviation as a, a holiday trade must come to a halt. And uh, that probably means these airlines are going to have the worst of it. But presumably, amongst all the carnage, there are also going to be some some very interesting opportunities for the, the companies that can sort of manage to hang on and then, as a result, grow market share on the back of this. Well, I wouldn't be looking at the growing market share. I would look at them to survive. I was looking for companies that have solid asset backing and uh, the will to carry on uh, despite uh, adverse trading conditions. Now, there's quite a lot of those around, and they're not always easy to see, but they are 
uh, here. And uh, as you know, I've touched upon them from time to time in my column. And I think, by and large, uh, they're surviving. They're doing all right. And which companies in particular we're talking about, Simon? I mean, I'm thinking of of small caps, which uh, perhaps is not of interest to the audience of this podcast. But uh, there, there are lots of companies with perfectly good products and prospects, and they've got the cash to survive any reasonable difficulties. And I just think one has to look at them sensibly. I mean, I don't want to be company specific. It's a bore for those who are not acquainted with the companies in question. But, uh, you know, Keith Daly's Check It, ticker code CKT, uh, is a company which has huge prospects. And the fact is that uh, it's got enough resources to take it through the coming months. And, which is most important, it is still expanding. It is still establishing its business. So, in a sense, it can't lose any business right now through COVID-19 because the business is still falling naturally into place. So, there's an example of a company with an intact prospect and there's a real chance that um, it'll go markedly higher in due course. Are there any companies in your portfolio, Simon, where you see those companies benefiting directly or indirectly from the current situation? Well, I wondered about that, uh, but I, I couldn't see it. There must be somebody who's benefiting by it. You, you know, there are one or two spivvy stocks on AIM where I've not been involved at all. I simply didn't know that they were going to come up with an idea to appeal to the punters. But, uh, for instance, if a company were announced that it uh, has got the commercial rights to the joint collaboration between London University the Mercedes-Benz Formula One uh, motor racing team, I mean, that would would really go if it were here, but (laughs) the answer is it isn't. But on the other hand, there are plenty of other companies, I'm sure, but I don't know which ones they are, which are ready to go. And I'm sure those who dig around and keep their heads when all about them are losing theirs, they will do very well. They've just got to keep digging. What about the outlook for dividends? Because we've, we've heard a, a lot of companies are suspending their dividends, and I'm sure this is going to be quite a tough time for those investors who are relying on dividend income for, um, you know, for a major component of their total income. What's, what's your view? We've heard, I've heard that dividends could be slashed by about 50% across the board for the London market. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Uh, I think uh, any any company paying a dividend uh, has no right at all to any support from HM government. Mm. And, uh, for instance, I as I think I noted in the column the other day, EasyJet was due to pay a dividend of a, the order of £170 million. And at the same time, it was lining up to get financial support from HM government. Well, (laughs) I I think that's nonsense. I don't know whether they cancelled the dividend, but if I were in the Treasury, I would say over our dead bodies, 
uh, does EasyJet get a penny? <laughs> it's a pity. I mean, I, f- I feel sorry for Stelios, who, who took all the trouble to establish the business. But uh, even so, it's um, paying out a dividend now when the future is so uncertain seems to me profoundly wrong. We'll see what happens. I'm just interested, what, what's your view in terms of some of these the companies that have been really, truly beaten up by what's happened so far and are really, you know, on, on the, the back foot? There must be some absolute bargains out there in terms of, like, the airline sector. I was looking at a company this morning, Cineworld, the second largest operator of, of cinemas in, in, the, in the world. And so, so many companies that are just unable to operate in the current market. Um, but presumably, if they can make the way through this, they and they can come out the other end. Presumably, there's you know there's a fortune to be made on some of these stocks. Yes, it's a small problem of timing. Cineworld have an operation called Picture House, and uh, one of the picture houses is stuck at the bottom of our road here, about uh, a couple of hundred yards away. And uh, of course, the place is closed now because of the social distancing orders. But um, once these troubles are set to one side, then I agree. I mean, it should be a very profitable business. I may say this picture house, and I'm sure it's true of other picture houses, have doubled the cost of admission. So I and my wife were able to go to the cinema for £16, but now they want £30, which is quite a different proposition. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, as I think I mentioned, uh, uh, the if I had been redesigning Picture House or I refurbishing the old cine world, I would have had uh, large double seats uh, for snogging, but they haven't got that <laughs> in the, the new Picture House. So I'm looking at it from the point of view of a younger man, James. I'm well, not... We digress, Simon. We, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what about the bond market? Because that's been an interesting one lately. We, we've been we've been calling the um, you know the top of the bond market for for a very long time now, but it just seems to carry on motoring. I mean, we did have some weakness lately, with uh, especially with the spreads in in the European market. Yes. What are your thoughts on that that market now? Well, if I am right about inflation, then bond yields are going to rise. They may not rise much, but they will rise. And that, of course, means the the price of gilts is going to come down. But it hasn't happened yet, as you rightly note, or at least if it has, uh, I'm not aware that it has. So in answer to your question, how will bond yields go, I don't know. I would have thought they should have been higher by now than in fact they are but there it is they're not so it's just how things are but i still think that um bond yields are going to rise it's just a question of when and another market that we consider to be a safe haven uh, gold gold actually sold off in the initial phase of the, uh, the the most recent crisis and i think that took a lot of people by surprise didn't it because people expected gold to, to perform well in, in this sort of scenario. Um, but it just got sold off with everything else because people were just rushing for liquidity. What's the outlook for gold as things currently stand? Well, uh, I may be wrong, but I am still hugely bullish for gold because 
the price of gold is determined by the USA's uh, public uh, finances. And um, uh, Trump is scattering money on a colossal scale. And uh, he, he won't raise it through taxation. And I doubt if the bond market over there will accept it either. So once it sinks into holders of dollars, that uh, the, the, the dollar is going to re- be reducing its spending power, then I would have thought the gold price must rise. But I, I've said that before, and as you rightly remark, <laughs> far from going <laughs> off into the deep blue ether, gold has decided to be very disappointing. I see, it's not very disappointing. It's, it's one thousand six hundred and twenty dollars as we speak. Yeah. But I think I think nonetheless that's the one to go for. Now I think anybody who has access to a spread betting account uh, really ought to get stuck into gold. But definitely, sir. And presumably, I mean, although gold's not performed particularly well so far, I mean, further along as we start to see some of the effects of this most recent round of stimulus, people are going to start to look to gold at that point, and maybe gold equities as well. What, what are your thoughts on the, the mining sector? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, I don't, as you know, I don't follow big gold shares, but many people would do that as just for safety, safety in numbers, I suppose. I must say, if, if people want to cover it, cover in an equity specializing in gold shares, I would have thought GPM, Golden Prospect Minerals, uh, I would have thought that's worth having a go at. Uh, I know the chaps who run it are absolutely dead set on gold. As to whether they're right or not, time alone will tell. But uh, they undoubtedly are up to their eyeballs in gold shares. And that's a, a, a small listed um, closed-ended fund, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, absolutely. Specialising in smaller, small-cap gold miners. I don't know what's in the portfolio now. The, the price, as I speak, is 28, 27 to twenty-nine uh, pence, and obviously uh, they, it hasn't performed as well as we gold bugs would have expected. But I think it will, and I think. Uh, it's a it's a fair bet for people who want exposure to the gold price and gold mines. And what about your own portfolio at the moment, Simon? What what's your biggest long position and what's your biggest short position? Well, <laughs> I have no particular short position because I've done badly on shorts. Uh, incredible as this may seem. <laughs> um, I would have thought this market would be an absolute dream for you, Simon. Yes, I agree. It should have, it should have been. But the, the problem is that uh, the area where I've made a lot of money, millions and millions of pounds, historically, out of shorting, is in small caps. And uh, one used to be able to sell stock to the market and thus leave the market to finance the provision of stock. Mm. But uh, that's all been stopped by the regulators. I, I don't know why, but anyway, they decided to do that. So uh, what should have been a massive harvest for me uh, personally has simply not transpired, which is a pity. 
The only stock I'm sitting on, which I've got a pretty long position, is one which I think I may have mentioned to you, is Caribbean Investment Holdings. Uh, they're about um, 27p as I speak. Yeah. And Family Corkwell has got about one and a half million of these. And I think I won't buy any more because enough's enough. But uh, we had, before all this trouble broke out, we got paid at the end of January a, a dividend of a little over 5p with the advice that this was an interim dividend and that uh, uh, another dividend would be paid uh, if financial circumstances allowed. Well, the answer to that is that one doesn't know what constitutes uh, financial circumstances right now, which are sufficiently flush to allow the payment of another dividend of 5p. But I'd make the further point, until uh, it transpires otherwise, the business is making over a penny a month in profit. Uh, so, And just to um, enlighten listeners who aren't familiar with that company, it's um, they own a bank, don't they, in um, whereabouts is it again, sorry? In Belize. Belize, that's it, yeah. And I think, is it Lord Ashcroft who's got a, a very large stake in, in that company? That's absolutely right. It's Lord Ashcroft who controls it. He's got over 75%. Yeah. And then his mates and acolytes have got another 15%. So the total free float is is not a lot, but that has the effect that if one buys a substantial holding, for instance, my family's one and a half million shares, it's by no means obvious that I'll ever be able to sell them. <laughs> but uh, certainly not as matters stand. And I have no intention, I have no intention whatsoever of uh, selling this stock anyway it doesn't uh, it just isn't right for us but uh, the fact is that um, this bank is properly run in Belize there are several banks in Belize but this bank has been properly run for a long time and I have every expectation that it'll go on making a profit it's taken a while to sort out this and that but I expect the profits will go on of course they will have to restrict their lending because under these circumstances, uh, one's going to demand more and more cover from by way of collateral provided by the borrower. But I, I would have thought this business would go on. There's one case of coronavirus infection so far established in Belize. This was mm. about a week ago, and I suppose more have to follow. It's only Belize as a country has only got four hundred thousand citizens, you know, so it's it's not exactly a big buzz economy. Yeah. But provided they play it out wisely, then I would have thought um, they'll come through. And so I, I think personally, I think Caribbean Investment Holdings is a jolly good bet. And there's the ongoing issue of uh, is it litigation against the the Belize government? Ah. Well, that's not Caribbean Investment Holdings' problem now. The position was that historically, Caribbean Investment Holdings advanced a lot of money to the Belizean government and uh, was rewarded by facing the Belizean government's failure to repay the money. 
And uh, then, quite absurdly, the Belizean government uh, decided to resist paying this money. And so, understandably, the Caribbean Investment Holdings took the Belize government to court, both here in London and uh, then in New York. And there is no higher court in the world left for this matter to be heard. And as a result, the, the, the indebtedness is a great, I can't remember how much it is, but it's big. Uh, it's getting on towards $100 million, I think. I'd better be careful about that. But it's certainly a great deal of money. And it's been shunted off uh, three or four years ago into uh, a separate company called uh, Midway, uh, Midway Investments Limited. I presume they've got enough money at Midway to fight legal costs if they need it. Uh, and, but it's quite separate from Caribbean investment holdings. And so it, it, that is why when uh, there were further examples of objectionable behavior from the Belizean government, it didn't affect the share price of Caribbean investment holdings. And just to finish off then, Simon, I just want to get your take on what the long-term implications of all this are. <laughs> well, we're talking nearly about the, the most recent round of, of QE and you know, fiscal stimulus. Given that governments are already so so indebted, at least, I mean, the highest levels of debt we've seen in, in peacetime, what are the long-term implications of, of adding inexorably to this already sort of precarious position? Well... Hyperinflation? <laughs> well, I don't know how that'll work in practice, but I suspect there will be inflation and it will surprise people. It's not so much what happens here in, in the Sterling area, which of course is very small now in relation to what it once was, mm. uh, but it, it's what happens in America. And uh, if the US dollar starts to be degraded or seen uh, by the population as degraded, then uh, th that would be the point when one would make a lot of money on gold. I, I, of course, there will come a point when equities will be well worth buying, but mm. I, don't, I don't think we're there yet. So my feeling is that on the fundamental test of credit, and taking the Latin meaning, the meaning in Latin of credit, which is it is believed, I'm afraid we are not we are not at the point where investors believe, or more to the point, we're not at the, the point where they might say it is believed. So uh, <laughs> I think I think it would be very wise for punters to be pretty wary before stepping in. Yeah. And the other Latin phrase that we all need to be aware of, fiat, relating to fiat currencies, which means yes. let it be so. Yes. well, And the governments can create as much of this stuff as they want, can't they, at will. So uh, that's why at some yes. point, presumably, gold is going to come into its own. I'd have thought so. I still think that's an absolute raving buy. I know Jim Mellon is very, very sweet on this, uh, whether he's right he, like all the us, rest of us, are waiting to find out. But the fact is, I think a colossal sum can be made out of gold. So that would be my to-do list this afternoon. Yes, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> how, how, how do you hold your gold, Simon? Because a lot of investors have this problem, don't they, that 
it's actually it's getting harder and harder to obtain physical gold. Do we do we trust the ETFs or is that not something that we we should be looking at? Do you think? <laughs> no, I think um, gold is something which one can take delivery of, and if you doubt it, just keep bidding until you're offered cash gold. <laughs> Even so, I think. That's not the way to do it, since it's so expensive to buy gold to hold. You've got to store it and insure it and all the rest. Mm. And then uh, when it's sold, it has to be proved that it's gold you're holding. But uh, I think one should just presume that the bit of paper one has got, which says uh, we'll send you some gold, I think that's worth trusting. And one should just buy uh, gold. I mean, for the average British investor, it's spread betting, I think, will give the op- opportunity. But uh, it's not easy, I grant you. But it's just that spread betting is such a cheap way of doing it. Okay. And on that note, thank you for your time, Simon, today. My pleasure. We'll see everybody for the, the next episode. Don't forget to tune in next time. Don't forget, you can access more great content, including Master Investor magazine at masterinvestor.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us by hitting the subscribe button and by leaving a review. If you've got any suggestions about who you'd like us to interview or topics you'd like us to cover, please send us an email at info at masterinvestor.co.uk. Thanks for listening.